Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono. On today's show, we have someone who I can say probably watches every single football league around the world. She covers Asian football from England as the creator of the website Lost in Translation and a writer for Roku Reporter and an assistant researcher for Football Manager. Please welcome to the show, Sunderland, an Orlando City supporter, Charlotte Patterson. Welcome, Charlotte. Hi, thank you for having me. It's really great to have you on because you are someone who is so fantastic about following every league around the world and you do it in such poise grace and the depth of your knowledge is it it's astounding because I think you literally watch every single league around the world and you give credence and a light to leagues that for some reason, no one's talking about. So how did this all come about? And how how exhausted are you always like following what's going on <laughs> in every corner of the planet? Yeah, it, it's a funny story. I mean, I've followed football since, uh, oh gosh, like since I was about two, three years old, really. Um, thanks to my dad sort of growing up. Um, we had a football pitch just around the corner from us. So growing up, we used to always go over there. I played football, he used to take me to Sullen games and... Yeah, just kind of from there, my, my infatuation for the game just grew. And it was as I got older, um, I'm as well as like a big football fan, I'm actually quite um, an avid gamer as well. So a lot of games I used to play when I was younger were kind of like hack and slash games. And um, one of the ones that I used to play, people might not know of it, but it was called Dynasty Warriors. And um, it was very loosely based on sort of uh, Chinese history and kind of through playing those games, they got me really interested in sort of Asian culture, Asian history, and sort of put together my two loves of football and sort of Asia, and then just kind of put them put them to one. And uh, yeah, sort of since then, I've started following Asian football. Probably, I've been loosely following it for the last maybe seven to eight years, but more so in the last sort of three to four, probably. Um, I did just sort of focus on uh, leagues like J-League or Chinese Super League or the K-League, but in the recent sort of year or two, I've been trying to watch just any kind of football that I can in Asia, um, trying to find any means to watch it, whether it's through YouTube or sometimes uh, teams will post it on their Facebook pages. So I've been trying to catch like Bhutan Premier League and uh, Singapore Premier League and uh, Thai football as well. So yeah, it's just, it's kind of, football's been a huge part of my life for pretty much all of it. And uh, yeah, just especially with the, the pandemic over the last sort of, 18 months two years um obviously we've had a lot of time where you know we're trying to find other things to do when we weren't able to sort of go outside um I'm not sure quite how it was in sort of the US but over here in England we were in lockdown quite a few times so you know we couldn't really go out the house and football's a huge outlet for people so um, I'm glad that it's come back and it's kind of just furthered my sort of love and infatuation for the game What's interesting is that with your line of work and how you're doing it is that you're proving to folks that you can take your passion for something and make a career out of it. So how did, when you fell in love with the Asian culture and started following leagues there, did you think at any point like, oh, this could be a job or is this just something fun that you wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, yeah, it's just it's something that I, I just love um, doing and watching, you know, um, I followed football for however many years. And it's just it's a huge passion and, and hobby of mine. And I'm, I'm really grateful and privileged to be in a situation where I kind of have um, sort of work coming out from it. I mean, if, like I said, I've got my website. Um, it is just a case of me being able to, to write on um, sort of Asian football whatever league or country that might be or whatever tournament um it's just something that I enjoy doing and yeah um it's a privilege to sort of be able to interact with lots of people on social media and sort of trying to to shine the limelight on sort of Asian culture and lots of football leagues within Asia as well. Asia is so massive and we are seeing an abundance of money going into some of those leagues in the continent namely in China and the Middle East and Japan. But why do you think it hasn't taken off in the Western Hemisphere with so many, with so much cash and names going there? 
Uh, it's a bit of a hard one to answer, really, because, um, you know, I, I follow MLS as well, and I follow quite other leagues from various sort of different continents. And like you said, they don't really take off as well as sort of leagues uh, in Europe. But yeah, with, with Asia, it's a funny one, really. I think a lot of it maybe stems from the fact that it's very hard to watch games a lot of the time. Um, it has become slightly easier, but it's still quite difficult um, it's it's not going to get coverage off of major like broadcast providers over here in the UK. Um, I think very rarely sometimes Sky Sports might show um, a Chinese Super League game in the past, which has since stopped. Um, but there are more sort of broadcasters that are sort of picking up the rights to show games. And I think that is helping the interest in leagues like Japan and, and China and even Indian Super League. Now um, you can watch a few games on um, sort of from a UK provider um but yeah it's it's a difficult one because there's so much talent in Asia I mean like you said it's a huge continent and you think of the amount of countries that are in there of course you're going to have this plethora of talent but it's just for whatever reason they can't quite get into the the limelight as sort of uh, players from Europe do I mean um we saw how Kyogo Furuhashi who you know joined uh, Celtic from Vissel Kobe this sort of summer and how well he's taken to joining Celtic and the Scottish Premier League. And, you know, when you think of it, sort of, I can't quite remember what the price was. It might have been about one or two million. It might have been a bit more for him. But in sort of this day and age, you know, you see people go for those um, sort of, especially as like a striker or a left winger, go for things like 20, 30 million these days. Um, so it's, they are getting themselves out there, um, but it's just, they're not sort of getting the reward for the talent that they produce. Um, it's like I said, it's it's hard to sort of answer as to, to why that is. I think kind of like I touched on before, I think part of it is the fact that there isn't much coverage of sort of Asian games and Asian leagues. Um, and I think maybe part of it as well is um, sort of in an, in an international level, you know, um, as much as there are a lot of good Asian football teams like Japan, um, Iran are a good side, um, Saudi Arabia, um, South Korea as well but other than sort of on a, a continental level when it comes to things like the World Cup they aren't quite able to produce the goods on that sort of level and compete with you know um, countries from say South America or Europe and I think maybe if they can sort of look at improving that and maybe going a bit further in these types of tournaments and being able to sort of showcase their abilities that it will continue to grow I think it certainly is showing progress um, and like I said, more people are becoming interested and more people are becoming aware of the leagues and the players that are in there. But it's just going to take time because it's been such a, a kind of new um, sort of uh, limelight that's been shone on it in the last sort of couple of years. And I think especially like we touched on before with the, the pandemic, I know that um, some of the leagues um, were the only ones that were kind of like going during the pandemic. I, I know that um, sort of the K-League was one of the first ones to, to come back with obviously... Um, sort of there was no fans in the stadium or reduced capacity so for a lot of people who couldn't get the football fix from sort of the predominant leagues uh you know I think it was sort of the Belarus uh Premier League and sort of a couple of Asian leagues which were the only ones that people could watch to get the fix so I think uh the pandemic in a way has helped things <laughs> probably not in uh, the grand scheme of things but uh, you have to take your positives where you can but yeah I think it's very much sort of a, a continent that is developing and hopefully it'll sort of um, get fruition for its efforts in trying to promote itself. For sure you know obviously we see Sun who's huge at Tottenham you know of you know from Korea in the last decade we saw Yutu Nagatomo at Inter and Kyusuke Honda at AC Milan these are three teams that you know, despite, you know, the band era of both AC Milan and Inter Milan respect, equally um, and has officially ended, but it was during that band era where they had Japanese players on their team for the first time. And you would think that like, all right, so there are two Japan players in, in Italy, Sun's doing his thing in England. Why is it more of a spotlight put on? I mean, because Son himself is just a phenomenal player. You would want to think that, like, oh, maybe there's there's more in the K League here. Like, let, let's tap that reservoir. Let's go in it and see what's going on there. Is there a reason for that, or do you think it's it's just again as everything that you had just stated prior? 
Yeah, again, yeah, it's it's a hard one to sort of, of say why. I mean, um, when you sort of look at the Premier League and um, European football leagues, there does seem to be a lot of um, focus and attention on on mainly sort of players that come from within Europe or South American sides. Um, there isn't that attention paid to sort of maybe even MLS, you know, in North America and uh, maybe players from sort of South, um, sort of even in um, across Asia or Africa or Australia they, they don't quite get that attention and maybe again it ties into what I'd mentioned before about the coverage of those leagues and those countries that it is growing so perhaps now we are starting to see sort of more clubs um, scout sort of players from these areas I mean it is starting to slowly creep in I mean not maybe necessarily the top divisions but you know I see a lot of um, I follow the the Belgian Pro League and um, a team called Sintruden um, at the minute I think they have eight or nine Japanese players on the side which is just incredible um, and those players are, you know they do quite well they spend maybe a year or two there and then they kind of look to go for the next move. Um, one of those players was uh, Takahiro Tomisu, who mm. uh, you know, he started off in J-League and then he went to um, St. Truden and then he was bought by Bologna and obviously now he's at Arsenal. So I think there is progression for sort of Asian football players, but it's, you know, a lot slower and a lot more indirect than what it is for players from other countries. Um, you know, they usually go to a team and then another team before they kind of maybe make the break. Um, whereas, you know, obviously other players are quite fortunate in that they'll get scouted and they'll get a, you know, a direct move to a big club. Um, so it's, it's difficult. I think things are changing and that there is going to be more of a focus on sort of Asian leagues. I think especially because uh, I know we keep mentioning about the pandemic, but it's, you know, you can't sort of, uh, underestimate sort of the effects that it's had and obviously one of the other things that it's done is the, the financial impact that it's had on quite a few clubs and a lot of them maybe have to look for um, sort of, I don't like to use the term smaller players, but looking, you know, in um, sort of smaller leagues and looking to buy players for cheaper, but actually kind of maybe being shocked and surprised themselves when they find that they've managed to get an incredible talent for, you know, really cheap um, amount of money compared to what they would spend if they were trying to get you know a 30 40 million pound signing from brazil um so it, it's getting there um but i think a lot of it has to do with sort of that that coverage um you know i i, I do follow a lot of j league and despite the fact that it's got a lot of coverage sort of um on youtube and, and twitter and things you don't really have like the clubs don't interact a lot on social media um, you do find that quite a lot on sort of um, Asian football teams is there is not too much of a social media presence as much as there is from a league point of view it's hard maybe to try and draw in fans who are kind of just discovering the league for the first time and maybe want to get on board with following it and if you haven't kind of got that interest or, or gauge from sort of the clubs it's, it's a bit hard to follow so maybe in that sense trying to improve on sort of their, their social media presence and interacting with people online might also help these things. It's true. I mean, that is such a wonderful point because, you know, we've seen it, especially here in America with Venezia in Italy, where it's a team that was just recently promoted from City B. They came out with four gorgeous jerseys at this point, and they have everybody in the collecting world in a frenzy trying to get their hands on them. And I, yeah, yeah. it's like brilliant marketing in a way that like, oh, yeah, now I'm going to pay attention to this team. Plus, they also have an American player on them, on that squad. So it's like, oh, OK, so in America, it's like, OK, well, you know, I may not know or the fan may not know City A very well. But here's a focal point. There's a player from my country here. I love this kit. I want it badly. Oh, and it's Venice and everyone knows that city. It's just an easy sell. Mm. But, you know, I remember when I was a kid, my childhood hero, Toto Scalacci, went to the J League in the mid 90s. And in recent years, we've seen Iniesta go there. And we've seen many other players playing in China, in the Chinese Super League with Graziano Pelle, who's not there anymore. Tevez, we know, is not there anymore. Dembaba came and went. Cannavaro and Lippi were managers of, for certain teams. And these are huge names. The, like Demba Ba left at the height of his career. Same thing with even Oscar at Chelsea. Yeah. Do those leagues need star power in order to get viewers? Or are they good enough on their own, in your opinion? Uh, 
it's a tough one. Um, I think with the, the Chinese Super League, it's almost kind of an, an entity of its own, really. The, um, I do try to watch it, but I find it so difficult because it's very clear from watching the league. And if you try to follow the league, that it is so money and business orientated. Um, it is just there's no kind of thought to the foundations of clubs. Um, you'll see quite a lot of the times nearly every year that uh, clubs will get renamed and rebranded even relocated um you know hundreds of miles away from where they were situated so it's so hard to to build sort of a um a community fan base which is loyal to the club it is just about bringing in those best players but you know when you watch the chinese super league all these best players that you were watching generally they tend to be sort of in the early or late 30s um they're sort of nearing the end of the careers they're bringing in they're getting all these wages but I mean, they, they do contribute, but then there's nothing else of the league that they're not producing sort of their own young talent. It is just an emphasis on these big players, these big names, um, and right. there's not not a lot of attention sort of anywhere else. So I think kind of like what we touched on before, it's about creating that, you know, that social media presence. I mean, it, it shouldn't be like that, but obviously in a day and age like we're in now where technology and having that online presence is so huge um, to sort of forget an opportunities that these leagues and these clubs need to promote themselves a lot more. And um, I think with a lot of the, the Chinese Super League clubs, if I have followed them on Twitter, I don't think they've posted anything for say, sort of six years. Um, naturally, they, they speak in their native uh, Chinese or Mandarin. Um, so it's very difficult for anyone kind of outside of China to try and get interested in the league when you can't kind of follow it all that too well. Um, whilst sort of China and Chinese Super League is more the extreme side of it, it's sort of the same in a couple of other Asian leagues where, yes, they have got the big players, but there needs to be an emphasis on sort of the, the infrastructure and the way that they build themselves and the community presence, which is actually quite why I like following the J-League a lot. It's not perfect by any means, but um, I do think they're largely sort of committed to the fan base and the community that they have and a lot of the time when you're watching it, yes, there's some star players like your, your Iniestas, um, but they have got this plethora of, of talent and, and young prospects that are coming up. And we are seeing a, a very talented um, Japan national side with a lot of good young players. Um, unfortunately, I don't think the manager's best suited for the, the job to help, you know, progress these players further to become a real powerhouse in Asia. But yeah, I think it's all about sort of the way you market yourself, the way you integrate yourself within the community and the, the social media presence I think those are a key to sort of getting people on board with you know whatever the philosophy is of the club and trying to engage with people who you know might be looking to to watch football from from elsewhere absolutely you know the other thing too is, is that I wonder if it also comes onto the heads into the heads and philosophies of certain scouts teams and the boards where oh if they're not playing in the major nations of Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, and South America, or Italy, England, Spain, Portugal, France, Germany. They're kind of like, all right, you know, we'll find a diamond in the rough here and there, but they're not from soccer nations. Like it's almost like a, it's, it's some sort of like bias. If you will. I can't think of the right word. I bias just keeps coming to my head where that bias is, just limited and limiting that vision but we've seen so many amazing players come from say Ghana or Cameroon and Ivory Coast in recent years South Africa as we talked about prior to recording this conversation and mm. you know we reference a few other players from from the Asian continent uh earlier on and do you think that the inherent bias sort of plays also plays a role in it yeah, I mean, it kind of like what you touched on. I mean, it's it's the same with everywhere. You know, you kind of you're going to find a, a needle in a haystack, so to speak. Um, you know, as much as there's been success of um, really talented African players uh, coming out of the continent, you know, how many other players have they had to look at that haven't met the mark of the the standard that they've set themselves? Um, like again, it's just touching on that the fact that there needs to be this this emphasis on youth development and the growth within these leagues and trying to integrate them within to the national uh, sort of international sides and having them challenge on that front because you know a lot of people do pay attention to sort of the world cup and the the players that are on there and it is always sort of a european side that usually heavily dominates it or you know a south american side and 
you know, you'll get the occasional sort of um, African team as well that'll do quite well. But in terms of sort of Asia and, you know, North America, it doesn't get that sort of the same publicity as it does for, for everybody else. Um, it's a difficult one. I mean, I, there was a book that I read recently. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the author and it's completely gone out of my head, um, but it's called Wings of Change. I think it might be Karen. I could be pronounced his name terribly. So apologies if he listens to this. Um, but it, it's all about um, Red Bull and sort of the, the fact that, you know, obviously they've got um, teams in like New York Red Bulls and uh, Red Bull Salzburg and Leipzig. Um, I think they've got one in Brazil as well. And I'm sure they've got nearly on every continent um, that they've now got a team in. During, in the book, it kind of mentions about in Africa that they've sort of set up these initiatives which get sort of players into the limelight and there's a direct path from these sort of uh, leagues within Africa that where they can go and join maybe uh, Red Bull Salzburg and then you know we've, we've seen it with the likes of um, uh, Haaland and, and Minamino who were at um, Salzburg and you know they've moved on to respective clubs that are you know slightly higher than that or there's been sort of uh, direct transfers from within you know Salzburg to, to Leipzig and you know even maybe back to um, to Red Bulls as well. Um, so as much as it's, it's seen as a bad thing, um, it's kind of a good thing in a way. I'm not saying on which uh, side of the fence I stand on. I can see from, <laughs> from both point of view of, you know, the pros and cons of each, but it does sort of set up this um, sort of system where, you know, you can see a player's progression from, from each situation and, you know, having those clubs in each like continent you know like as mentioned obviously there's red bulls in north america and uh there's two in in europe and one in brazil um that they've sort of got those those systems and infrastructures in place to produce this top tier talents that kind of get the the focus and get the scouting interested this actually leads me perfectly into the next segment here uh because you know top talent and you, you began to reference MLS here. Star power is something America has done with MLS since its inception. And you're an Orlando City fan. Orlando has had Kaká, Nocherino, and now they have Pato and Nani, but they haven't won anything. So is, or is Orlando sort of a proof that star power really isn't worth it? Yeah, I mean, if, if even, I mean, you look at Orlando and yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, to, we have in the last two years uh, progressed um, quite well, but yeah, you know, back in its sort of uh, MLS inauguration with having sort of the likes of Nocherino and Kaká and other big names, I think we had uh, Julio Baptiste as well. And yet we have these star players on our side, but aren't able to sort of make anything of that. And it kind of, it shoves the onus on the fact that, you know, um, one player isn't bigger than the team you know it is a team game at the end of the day you can have the, the best player in the world and if you haven't got the right support or um the right sort of um relationships around you you know how you work with other people then it, it doesn't matter what you do it's never gonna sort of um amount to anything i mean in a more extreme cases you see the likes of uh Lionel messi who's joined psg and you know despite the fact that he's got neymar and mbappe and di maria and all these other incredible talented players around him it's not the same system as it was at Barcelona so even though he's an incredibly talented player on his own he hasn't quite been able to to get to the level that he was while he was at Barcelona of course it's an integration period and it'll take time and I have no doubt in my mind that he'll probably make me eat my words and the next time PSG play a game he'll score a hat-trick or something but yeah that you know it's, it's bigger than just sort of one player and I think we do see that in MLS I mean if you look at sort of into Miami as well they've got a huge amount of big name silence um you know obviously they had the the Higuain brothers and um um Mitweedy as well that they signed um I think it was from Juventus and you know despite all these names they have missed out on a playoff spot they've had a very poor season um and there's other teams like that in MLS where yes they've got these big name players but like kind of what I'd mentioned with the J League it, it kind of it doesn't really matter necessarily if you have these big name players because you have to have all you know 11 players that are on the pitch all playing the same way having um sort of good dynamics with each other the substitutes that come on the depth the manager it all has to be right it has to be seen as a sort of like a whole holistic approach to everybody integrated in the team not just what sort of um the attention paid on, on one person because one person can't make the difference i can't wait for you to own a team one day <laughs> I, 
like it's true. It's like at listening to you and here and absorbing everything you're saying. It's oh my, it's 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 so true. It's it's you know, it's look, obviously Messi's gonna put tushes and seats, if you will. Like, you know, people are gonna buy tickets to, you know, to see him. Look, I I suddenly have more of an interest in PSG lately than I have in the last few years. And they're a team that I've had some of my favorite players. But you know, when you have an alien on your team, it's going to be something that is going to sell tickets. As you mentioned, the Iguain brothers here in America for MLS. And, uh, you know, look, when NYCFC first started off, they had the Holy Trinity, if you will, of like the best players from each country uh, or the top three players from three of the top footballing countries in the world with Pirlo, Lampard and Villa. How do you not want to see that? How do you not want to see them? And how do you not? But it ends up being, you know, Sebastian Giovinco at Toronto that becomes, hey, look, my plan worked. Their plan worked. Or years prior was David Beckham and Robbie Keane at LA Galaxy and the last two seasons together where it was we're finally going to lift some hardware. So it is interesting that it does take time. Orlando, I felt like would have been more in the conversation in terms of, trophy attempts than they have been Mm. but my thing here is what what I'm curious to know is what made you fall in love with Orlando yeah um so when I was younger um I was very lucky that um I'd gone on a holiday I think maybe three times to Orlando with my family and as much as of course when I was younger it was all about Disney and all the theme parks um I did become quite infatuated with the the city and the place and obviously the weather and the food and just like little things like that um so I've always kind of had a bit of an interest in them and then I remember hearing back in sort of 2010 uh that they were starting up uh, a team in Orlando that were previously the, the Austin Aztecs and um, you know, obviously they participated in the, the USL to start off with. It was, I was kind of very loosely following them at that point. Um, there wasn't much coverage back in those days of sort of USL, um, regardless, even MLS didn't get any coverage then. So we were even sort of, it was even harder to try and find any kind of coverage of uh, Orlando when they were in the USL. And then of course, you know, when they joined MLS in 2015 and, you know, they had Kaka as the big sort of figurehead of this, this new team that was coming to Orlando it was going to be, you know, performing in MLS with all these great players and just the whole dynamic behind it. It was just, yeah, um, like I said, it was a holiday destination to start off with. Well, I've always sort of kept a, a bit of a close eye on them. And then sort of, yeah, when they joined the MLS and we were getting more coverage over here in the UK, there was a lot of um, uh, games. I mean, there was a, quite a lot of coverage then. And even now, I think every single weekend, you can watch about two or three MLS games every week. So it's it's great to be able to sort of follow it. But um, I actually went over to Orlando in 2018 and 2019 um, and just went so I could go and watch football. Um, I think I caught, caught the first year two Orlando City games. I went to see an Orlando Pride game, which is the women's football team. Uh, I went to watch the Orlando Magic, Orlando Solar Bears. So I got in some some ice hockey and basketball while I was there. Because as much as I love football, I just love sports in general. So it was just a great holiday of just watching so much sports as well as you know of course the theme parks and things but yeah just the the fan base in Orlando are just incredible um you know everybody sort of on social media has been so supportive and and welcoming um when I've mentioned that I'm going over to Orlando you know people like oh we'll have to meet up we'll buy you a drink um there was one fan who saved up all of their like loyalty points with the club to get me a tour of the stadium um lots of fans will send me um sort of the rare shirts that the MLS will sort of release you know when they do the uh, MLS Parley like Adidas um, shirts once a once a year which are really hard to get a hold of and they'll be like no no we'll get it we'll get it we'll get it sorted for you and just even when I'm not over there you know just the interaction online just everybody's so lovely and supportive and it, it's funny because I, I we kind of talked about it before um, we start recording but you know it's social media I completely agree with you sometimes it's you know just absolutely horrendous you know people just have the ability to be able to say what they want without any repercussions and you know it's kind of like a dog eat dog world but there are some incredible people out there and you know as much as social media is sort of it has a huge impact on people's mental health and it can be seen as such a bad thing it's actually been a huge thing for me because it's opened so many doors for me that I never thought were possible um you know if I I hadn't got sort of Twitter I wouldn't have kind of really 
followed a lot Orlando as much as I had or kind of following these Asian football leagues as well so it kind of has stirred my interest in these leagues a lot more and my, my passion for football a lot more by having these incredible people but yeah um sorry go back to the point of Orlando it is just an incredible club and like you mentioned you know considering the the rosters that we've had over the years you would think that we would have challenged for trophies but it hasn't quite worked um I think under Oscar Pereira we're doing a lot better um we have sort of slipped off um let our foot off the gas pedal a little bit over the last sort of couple of weeks months um but you know, there's, there's signs of progress and I just enjoy watching them. You know, we follow your team regardless if they win, lose or draw. Shout out to all the amazing Orlando City and Orlando Pride fans in the world uh, because that is some really beautiful hospitality. Uh, you know, Florida as a state gets a bum rap, you know, with the Florida man trending topic that you, I'm sure you've seen because the whole world has. But uh, the folks in Orlando are obviously proving the contrary. And that is one of the most beautiful stories I've ever heard. It's the beauty of sport and the beauty of what this game can do. Uh, one thing, though, that I kind of I kind of got to give you a little jab here <laughs> is that since you like pain and suffering with your sports teams, you are a Sunderland fan. Yeah. Um, so what is it about Sunderland? And I know you mentioned your father earlier, but how frustrating is it to be a fan of that team? And why do you love them? And how is it? And and because that love is, I've never seen fan a fan base the way I've seen with a Sunderland fan base. And this is talking about any league around the world because those fans, just the pain and suffering in various weekends, but... It is unbelievable how through thick and thin, they are the definition of fandom and you're part of that. So explain to all, me all this. Yeah, um, well, as I touched on sort of right at the start of the podcast, I mean, the whole reason I got into football was through my dad and my dad's a Sullen fan. Um, a lot of my family are Sullen fans. Um, my sort of dad's side of his family are all Sullen fans. So it kind of, it, that's usually a lot of the time how it works is, is whoever you sort of your family support is you, who you usually tend up to uh, supporting um I mean obviously where I live you've kind of got two options it's either Newcastle or Sullen so um and the very close Derby rivals so uh yeah it was kind of through my dad that I supported Sullen and he took me to games when I was younger and I've kind of followed them throughout my life I've never really seen Sullen be successful in any sense uh other than when they've maybe played in the championship and they've got promoted to the Premier League I think that's the only kind of silverware that I've really ever seen up until sort of recent years as much as yes we're in league one and it's not the greatest but you know we've had a couple of trophies in that time but it's it is hard <laughs> I'm not gonna lie it's very difficult supporting Sutherland and Orlando especially if uh, you go from like the last couple of years when um, Orlando were doing really bad in MLS I think they had one of the worst defensive records um, they were just conceding left right and center and then at the same time, I had Sutherland getting back-to-back relegations where they were relegated from the Premier League, went to the Championship, and then got relegated again the following season to League One. So it was a very difficult time being a football fan. Um, I don't want to say that I'm used to it in a sense, like disappointment. Um, I think the heartache of following these teams doesn't quite affect me as much as it used to when I was younger. Um, when I see, you know, Sutherland lose, Orlando lose, especially if it's, if it's the same weekend or the same day, it's painful, but you kind of just have to think to yourself, it's, uh, it's a game at the end of the day, as much as I'm passionate about football, you know, yeah, some things, you know, it's completely out of your hand. And I suppose that's why it's kind of, helpful in a way that I've been following football from other leagues where I can watch the games and I have no loyalty or ties to the matches that I'm watching you know I'm not bothered about what the outcome is there's no team that I'm rooting for a win if it goes to penalties I'm not going to be sat on the edge of my seat biting my fingernails wondering if it's going to go in or if they're going to save it so it's yeah it's 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 definitely hard following both of those teams um but like you mentioned before you've got to follow your teams through through thick and thin and I always just think to myself, when you do finally achieve that that victory, you know, whatever it is, if it's winning uh, MLS Cup or, you know, the Eastern Conference, or if it's Sutherland getting promoted back to the, the championship and then eventually the premiership, it just makes that sort of that winning even more sweeter because you've had to endure all those years of sort of hurt and disappointment, really. For sure, for sure. Sunderland has become part of the football zeitgeist thanks to the, the fantastic Netflix series, Sunderland Till I Die. I do hope you're familiar with it. Um, how accurate of a depiction is that series of the fans and what that team means to that town? 
yeah uh it was very painful kind of watching the netflix series um i mean it was painful experience it as a, a, a Sutherland fan at the time that it was happening but yeah um you know kind of a lot of what's covered in that is you know real that is the sort of genuine emotions and feelings of a lot of Sutherland fans a lot of the things that happened obviously it gave a lot of us Sutherland fans a lot of insight when it kind of showed a lot of behind the scenes coverage of you know players having a fallout or managers kind of making their own decisions about things as opposed to consulting the rest of the team and when you sort of see it you realize you know how poorly run um things were from the start you know from top to bottom um i'd like to think that we're kind of on our way back we've had a huge restructure you know a lot of time when people sort of say sullen they're like oh yeah well you know the the better than the rest of the teams that are in league one but we're not the same team that we were in the premiership we haven't got the same players that we had when we were in the premiership we've had to start from new essentially I've, of course we are still you know financially a lot better off than a lot of the sort of um clubs in league one and we've got a huge stadium in comparison to some of the uh, teams that only have like a ground capacity of a couple of thousand um but we have an incredibly loyal fan base you know um despite the fact that, like I'd mentioned before, we haven't won any major trophies for such a long time. Um, you know, despite these like little cup trophies that we won sort of last year, um, despite, you know, the back-to-back -back relegations, you know, we still average around sort of 20 to 30,000 fans uh, in League One, which is higher than some attendances for say the likes of Bournemouth when they were in the Premier League or Brighton. Um, so, like I'd mentioned before, it's it is difficult following and supporting them, and you'll have your moments where they'll ruin your day. But I think it'll just make it all that more sweet. And when we finally get what it is that we've set out to achieve, you know, with the smaller teams that we've been talking about and smaller leagues, it parallels the attention that the women's game gets or doesn't get around the world. Of course, we've been speaking in terms of men's teams this entire time, but how does that change? How do we get? folks to now look at the Manchester City women as they do Manchester City, Pep Guardiola's side, and so on and so forth around the world. Yeah, it's, again, it's a difficult um, situation, really. I mean, I, I can't speak for how it is in other countries, but as a, a woman that lives in England, um, a lot of the time, if I see anything mentioned about women's football, it's usually met with a lot of negative sexist comments from people whether it's the old uh, outdated views of you know um get back in the kitchen or don't understand the offside rule or the the quality of football's poor and do you know what it is sometimes i won't argue that fact you know so when you do watch the women's football sometimes the quality is poor but that is because it hasn't got the same finances the same um level of staffing the sort of facilities anything like that compared to what the men's have and what a lot of people forget and i'd put this on social media not too long ago is that in england women's football was banned for 50 years by the fa because of the fact that the men's football felt really threatened by the women's being so success like successful back in sort of the the 1920s um early 30s um, that they had to put a ban on it. And you think to yourself in that time, you know, where would women's football be had that ban not been in place? You know, would it kind of be like what men's football is with the Premier League now? And that it would be women's football was kind of the more watched as opposed to men's. I mean, that's, it's purely speculative and I could be completely far-fetched. It might not have kind of got to where it is at all, but it is growing and it needs more publicity. It needs a lot more work done to it um like i've mentioned people complain about the quality of things but what's complaining going to do you know we need more money put into it whether it's you know getting um kind of what i touched on before with other leagues you know having that social media presence having the coverage where you're able to watch the games um getting the sort of the clubs and teams out there getting the same sort of financial assistance as some of the men's teams do the same facilities um you know it was only three years ago that the top division of women's football in England, uh, all of the players were sort of signed to fully professional contracts. You know, before that, they were only semi-professional. So they were getting paid a little bit, but a lot of them had to get, you know, jobs at the, the same time. Um, and, you know, that's still the case. Um, I've got two local women's football teams close to me. There's Durham Women, which uh, that's the city I live in. 
and then the Sunderland ladies who are obviously an affiliate to the Sunderland men's side and both of them compete in the championship which is like the second division of women's football in England and both teams are semi-professional there's a lot of players there who are teachers they work you know 30 whatever hours it is during the week uh they'll finish work uh, they'll drive to the, the training ground and they'll train and then they'll play matches on a weekend and you know they'll do it all and it's just you know it's incredible to say that you know for something that's considered you know the top flights of, of women's football that women are still having to sort of juggle between working part-time and then trying to commit themselves to being better players but then at the same time people are criticizing them for the quality being poor so it's it's very difficult but I mean We've seen leagues, you know, like the NWSL with like Orlando Pride, um, you know, and how well they do. And I mean, especially when you look at the USA women's like soccer team, like at a national level, I mean, they're just an incredible side, you know, with the amount of trophies that they've won and the entertaining football that they play. Um, but again, you'll get the same sort of sexist comments where people like, well, yes, OK, the women's football team are really great, but that if they were, they were to play the men's, you know, they would lose or whatever. And I always see somebody. I think that I like, I, I've, I've heard that. I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I've, I've, oh, heard no. that, <laughs> I've heard that so many times and I'm just, and I shake my head every time. And I, like, I, I, I staunchly defend the women's team. I'm like, no, no, that's definitely not that. that no, like Megan Rapino is by far Megan Rapino on her worst day is better than most men's players I've seen in any country. Yeah. Like she's just she's just to me is like a once in a generational talent. And we, we talked about Carly Lord earlier. And, you know, of course, there's Alex Morgan. And it's just you, even just the three of them could take on most men's teams, you know, and I'm sure like would do really well. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I just I had to I had to interject my. No, no I completely uh, agree. I mean, I'll see people always whenever the US women's are always brought up, somebody will always find, um, I think it's an article or a screenshot of, did they play, I think it was FC Dallas's under 15s or something like that. And they'll be like, oh yeah, well, they got beat off of an under 15 year old team. And I just, oh, it just frustrates me so much sometimes. That I, I, when I do see comments like this, I kind of sometimes have to take a step back from social media because I just get so frustrated because it, like I'd mentioned, it's so easy to complain about the quality of things not being right, but if nothing's been done to improve the quality, that what what are people meant to do? You know, if it hasn't got that support and backing as it does with the the men's game as well, and you know, it it is getting better, but it's got a long, long way to go before it becomes sort of um, where it is seen as sort of equal to men's. I mean, if whether that's even something that a lot of women want. I mean, it's it's difficult. You know, kind of, do we want to be similar to what the Premier League is because? I've, I personally, I'm sort of not that interested in the league anymore because I think it is becoming very money orientated. I mean, as is football in general, you see all the time, you know, the proposed talks of having a World Cup every two years and the European Super League that they were going to have um, earlier this year. It's it's all about whoever's the richest and has the money. Um, I don't even say this because they're our derby rivals, but, you know, the whole situation with Newcastle and this takeover with the from the the Saudi owners and the amount of money that's coming in and it's just yeah it's, it's who who talks the loudest who has the most money and you know that's why I think recently I've I've been watching a lot more non-league football um you know teams that are really low down in the English divisions like I'm talking sort of 10th tier if not lower um and just watching them because it's just nice to sort of just see people just wanting to play football I mean I'm not saying that there's no corruption or other issues there but it's just not as apparent as it is in some of the top divisions i want to just point out that like you haven't seen my questions ahead of time that was actually the next question i was going oh, to really? <laughs> and my question was going to be since money is ruining the game these days do you find smaller leagues and teams to be more pure football uh <laughs> you answered that so i'm not gonna like you know formally ask it but uh it's just very funny how you just perfectly segued into where i wanted to be um <laughs> Which, uh, again, when you own a team one day, I cannot wait to see them do fantastic because I think you have every bullet point and can see things down the road that most owners can't. So um, uh, I applaud you for seeing the forest from the trees and everything. And also just applaud you again for just uh, for shedding light on smaller leagues, smaller teams and players, of course, from around. Obviously, your focus is Asia, but you do this with other teams as well and other leagues. 
Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from ModCup.com. ModCup, drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. So it's, uh, this has been so much fun. We're actually in the home stretch. I have three questions left. Mm-hmm. These are the same three questions I'm asking every single guest from here to eternity. And they could be for either Sunderland or they could be for Orlando City. They pertain mainly for your clubs. So okay. question one, and you can answer for both teams. You can answer for one of them. Just let me know which one. If you could bring back one player to your club, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Uh... The, uh, the one that's sticking out for me is with Sutherland and even though he's retired I would absolutely love to have Kevin Phillips back um he was just such a prolific goal scorer he was I mean he was I was very young when I first started watching him so I, a lot of sort of watching him it, it, it was have to be through sort of YouTube video clips of sort of how he was but I mean he was the the golden boot European top scorer I think it was in it was either in 1999 or 2000 and he was just such a talented player. So um, I think it would be definitely him that I would have to bring back. I'm trying to think of Orlando. And I mean, when I'm thinking about it, it would be Kaka, but obviously he was there. It didn't quite go as planned. So maybe if it was slightly earlier in his career that he joined Orlando. Um, so instead of like going from like going from his second stint in AC Milan, instead of going to Sao Paulo again for his second yeah. stint there, maybe going to Orlando and founding something there. Yeah, but a little bit earlier, just because towards the end, uh, injuries started started to ruin his career a little bit. I will say one thing about Kaká, which was amazing, was his debut goal on the debut game for the debut team, you know, with Orlando when they opened up. Uh, so, like, what was it, five or six years ago they, they started? Yeah, oh, so. it was a beautiful goal. Um, I, I was quite... Um, I wish I'd managed to get to sort of the Citrus Bowl and then obviously Camping World because um, when I have gone to see Orlando, it has been at the new Exploria Stadium. But um, when I sort of look at the, the atmosphere, how many fans were there that day and just sort of the, the jubilation of, of Kaka scoring that goal, um, I wish I would sort of been there in person to see it. It was beautiful. Um, and I watch it on tele. He's one of my all-time favourite players. And so I just, I watch anything I could with him um, for as long as, you know, I remember watching him. So it's uh so I remember that game and it was just it will always be like that's the Kaka I want to remember in, in his MLS days because you're right about the injuries every time Orlando had come to the New York area I would buy tickets specifically just to see him yeah. and every time he came with the exception of maybe one match where I couldn't my schedule just wasn't allowing he was never playing and it was really a bummer like my bachelor party a couple of years ago right before my I got married uh my mates got me tickets to see nycfc uh play orlando and again in hopes that kaka would be there injury you know but it was cool we got to see nocerino and that was awesome um you know two milan icons i guess and modern icons kaka bigger obviously than nocerino (laughs) but you know that it was still fun um all right so second question here if your club could sign one player today, now again, it could be both, or you could just let me know which one. Uh, who would it be and why? Oh, that's such a tough one because, you know, the obvious answer for both clubs would be like, you know, Messi, Ronaldo. It's not, you know, ever something that I've really thought about, or like to that, to that level. I mean, um, I know he's sort of getting on, but I mean, when Jim Defoe, uh, Jermaine Defoe was playing for Sullivan, you know, he was a fantastic player and I would love to have him right now because I, I, I really think he would help us get out of League One. Um, but, you know, of course, um, I, I mean, I'll maybe go from an Orlando expect, um, perspective. I would love to have Bessie play for Orlando. Um, he has mentioned that, you know, once kind of he's getting towards the end of playing at PSG, the likelihood is that he'll maybe go to, to MLS. I know it was mentioned because when he was being linked with uh, Manchester City that he might go to Manchester City and then go to New York City with them being sort of that um, that city group. Um, But yeah, maybe Messi. I think he would just be absolutely sensational to watch in MLS. And, you know, for those that do follow MLS, it's a very attack orientated league. Um, It's very rare that you'll come across sort of um, a nil-nil result. A a lot of games are very high score and thrillers. So I think it would be suited to him quite well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I love that. I love both those answers here. Um, and it is funny because this is the question that really stumbles a few folks. Um, <laughs> and every, no one wants to say Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe. 
uh, and that's fine. And that's totally cool. And it's cool when you do, um, but your reason for LN totally that, that piece of the puzzle certainly fits. Uh, and finally, lastly, what has been your favorite moment as a fan? Um, hmm. <laughs> There's not, well, when you support teams like Cylinder and Orlando, it can be very difficult to, to think of your favorite moments. I could probably tell you a lot of uh, disappointing moments. Um, I think for Orlando, it had to be last year when, you know, obviously we finally qualified for the playoffs. Um, that game against uh, New York City FC, um, which was just, dramatic from from start to finish I think the way in which we won that despite everything that had happened is just such a a big pivotal point for me um it was just entertaining for all the wrong reasons I mean I was watching it in person I was on um, a zoom call with a couple of other friends who live in the UK that support Orlando and I mean our hearts were just sort of in our mouths like we couldn't believe what was happening you know with the Pedro Galese being sent off in the penalty shootout and we had to put in a defender to save the penalty and it was just chaotic, but I mean, I know we didn't sort of um, get much further than that. Um, obviously, we bowed out to, to New England, but I think just to, to get to the playoffs was incredible. And also the MLS's back tournament, which was was played um, sort of towards the end of, well, not the end of the pandemic, but when things were starting to look a little bit better. And um, obviously they had it in a, a, a bubble system, but Orlando played really well in that. And it was thoroughly entertaining to watch them play. Um, but as for Sutherland, <laughs> it's so much harder to think because, as I'd said, for the majority of my life, um, Sutherland haven't been the greatest and I haven't won any major trophies. But um, yeah, I'll maybe just stick with Orlando for my answer because I can't think of <laughs> it. <laughs> it's totally very cool. difficult. <laughs> That's totally cool. Charlotte, where can everyone find you and your work on the internet? And um, yeah, just l- let us know how we can promote you here. Yeah, um, so I am on Facebook and Instagram, but I primarily use Twitter, so it's probably the best uh, if you want to get in touch with me. It's um, Kirby Hazard um, on Twitter, and um, if you want to look at any of my work, um, I've got a website which is lost dash in translate in. So I'm getting my words mixed up. It's lost in translation, but it's got dashes sort of in between. dot um, co. dot uk. Um, so I mean, I've got a link to it in my Twitter profile, so it'll probably be easier to do that as opposed to to listen to me trying to babble on about it here, but. Uh, yeah, if anything um, that comes to mind, sort of anything Asian football, I'll just write about it and I'll put it out on the website. Um, if it's something that you're interested in or if you have something that you think that you'd love me to write on, um, by all means, I've, I've had a couple of people who've been like, would you write a bit more on, I don't know, um, Pakistan football or other leagues and divisions? So um, I do try to put more of an emphasis on the, the women's side just to help that grow. But um, I pretty much write anything on Asian football. So yeah, if you want to find me at Twitter at Kirby Hazard and uh, like I said the the link to my website's uh, on my Twitter bio. Wonderful. Charlotte thank you so much this was such such an eye-opening enlightening interview and just so much fun too so thank you again for everything. No thank you for having me on um, and yeah just being able to talk about the sport that I'm incredibly passionate about um, some really good questions and really good topics of conversation so yeah thanks for having me. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.